Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a very special guest on today. We have the wonderful Autumn on with us. How are you today, Autumn? I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, we're so excited to have you with us. Now, we always kind of give a little background about our guests or how we kind of came across them. This was this was a little more unusual, wouldn't you say, Landon? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we heard from her after we'd done our Tim Ballard episode and some of the things that had come out. And she wrote us a, a, an email kind of telling us her background. And we were just awed as we read it. Yeah. <laughs> and said, we've got to contact her and, and, and get her on the show. And so obviously, uh, you know, she's here as an avatar. Uh, and we'll explain that a little bit uh, just because of the nature of these. It's a very personal story. And and so as a result, we're uh, keeping her identity. Uh, we didn't want to have her identity known, but uh, she she is going by a pseudonym. Uh, but uh, we want to welcome her because this is a really interesting story. Yeah, it's extremely important. And as Landon said, um, Autumn reached out to us via email, sort of talking about how the things that we had been discussing with the grooming process that we are all kind of hearing about for some for the first time, really thinking about it, in a, what Tim's doing to different women, Tim Ballard. And I think a lot of us have questions. Well, how does that even happen? You know, how how is somebody groomed? What does that feel like? What does that result in? And there's kind of a spotlight being shown on that right now. And so Autumn's letter emailed to us had some really interesting information that we thought this kind of takes you through the process from start to finish of how this can happen. And so we're just going to let Autumn introduce herself and we'll just start the conversation. But I, I guarantee that this is going to be really enlightening and really interesting to everyone. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I've struggled for a while wondering if I should even share this story because it's such a sensitive um, topic. But um, just listening to your podcast and listening to yet another um, story come out into the public about uh, people that uh, just use the church and use the beliefs to abuse other people, it really just hit home. And a lot of the things that we're hearing this Tim Ballard story um, parallel some of my experience, my own personal experiences. Um, I didn't, I don't know Tim Ballard. I didn't have any interaction with him, but um, I had some similar things happen to me um, a couple decades ago. <laughs> and it's just fascinating to me that we keep seeing these things happen over and over in the news. And I think there's a tendency to feel like these things are, they're outliers. These are these are just bad actors. This couldn't happen to me. This couldn't happen to one of my children. This couldn't happen to someone I know, one of my friends. And the truth of it is, I, I think that um, these things are happening in in close quarters, in in on more personal levels within families and individuals. And um, what we're seeing in the news is just a, a big, large example of something that's happening on a smaller scale. So I, I don't know. I just felt like it was maybe important or time to to share. No, we're really, really glad that you reached out because you're right. You touched on it. People are saying, how does this happen? How were these women groomed? Were they groomed by Tim Ballard 
or were they groomed by a church or an institution where this process started, you know, decades ago before they even met Tim? And I think that's kind of what we're all grappling with right now. How does somebody become conditioned um, to be, you know, to, to get involved in a situation like this without even really realizing it? And when you kind of detailed your experience that you're going to tell us about tonight um, in the email that you sent us, both Landon and I thought this is a really good example, a very straightforward way to sort of detail that process and how it happens just step by step, you know, very simplistically. Is that how you kind of felt landing when you read the email? We were both very impressed by it. Yeah. Autumn outlined it very well and just walked us through the steps of, of what happened with her situation. And, uh, it was just going, Oh my gosh, I can completely understand how this happened. And, you know, it, it, it didn't, it, it was pretty obvious when we saw the allegations against Tim Ballard and the, the, the women and what they were coming out with uh, that that all of them but one, I think, were LDS. Um, mm -hmm. So that made us start to think, is it Tim Ballard who was grooming the women or was it the church that was grooming the women uh, in that they'd set the, the stage or the conditions to which they followed that that led them down that path and when we did our episode on joseph smith joseph 2.0 uh we started seeing very many similarities so i know this is a sensitive subject with a lot of people and there'll be a lot of comments on both sides uh you know but uh, i think the grooming uh we can't just look at tim ballard and say he did all the grooming i think there was a, a, a the stage was set prior to that and, and autumn's story kind of kind of uh emphasize that as we read it. So why don't you tell us, Autumn, a, a little bit about your your story and, and background and how, you know, what, what happened with you in, in this situation? You know, if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to uh, briefly just touch on, you know, I, I have a lot of um, friends and family that are, are active in the church, and um, I want to make sure that um, that they know that None of these things that I'm sharing today are, are an attack on them or an attack on their beliefs. Um, the, for me, the best part of the church, the best things that happen in the church happen on a, a local and personal level. And there are many people that um, are very dear to me and are some of the best people in the world that I think um, have, have loved me unconditionally, no matter where I was in the church. Uh, it just turns out that most of those people are people that are able to live it in a more nuanced way. Um, but by the same token, some of the most awful things I've witnessed in the church also happen on a very local and personal level. And it tends to be that that those things are motivated by some more fundamentalist beliefs. And I think that that's what we're going to touch on tonight is there are still teachings out there, even though you may not think that they're mainstream right now. They were mainstream at a time and they still influence the culture and the people in the church uh, in a way that I think can accurately be described as grooming. 100%. Yeah, we absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and 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 I would back that same thing that, that there are some wonderful people uh, in the church, my entire family's in, people I love. And, and so- yeah, it, it it's not an attack on them, uh, but we, we also have to be careful because what we're taught can sometimes allow things to go on that that uh, we think are good or, or wholesome and 
they're in reality not because we we're too close or we're following the advice of what we were taught and and not stepping back and looking and saying hmm is is this right or not mm-hmm. yeah um so i don't know let's see where to start gosh it's oh, it's so much stuff and it's so long ago um so I guess a really important part of my story is that I'm a convert to the church. So I, I was not raised in the culture. Um, I really knew nothing at all about the church until until I was a teenager. Um, and I, I was baptized as a young adult. Um, so when I, I came in, um, when I was first married, I was I was married very young, <laughs> uh, not very long after I was baptized. And um, I'm still learning the um, the culture and the vernacular and the the um, signaling that you do in the church. I I wasn't quite there yet. I don't I don't think I was uh, fluid <laughs> in the the language of the church. So there's a lot of things that I think um, happened to me that maybe wouldn't happen to someone who was a little more um, knowledgeable about it. Um, but I think it, it made it kind of helped make me a perfect victim for for what happened. But um, I met uh, I met a guy in the church who ended up being my husband. And uh, when I first met him, he was um, he was very, very active, a very integral part of of the young adult ward that I went to. And uh, w- when I was first baptized, I was I was all in like I couldn't. Um, I couldn't get the information fast enough. Like I, I read every book I could get my hands on, books on tape, um, just e- everything. I consumed it voraciously. Um, so it was actually kind of hard to find someone who was at that level to date. Most of the people I had been dating were not, uh, <laughs> were more normal because <laughs> I, I was not in a, a normal state, I don't think. Um. But this guy that I started dating, he he was there. He was he was right there with me, and he was um, almost even more so. Like he took everything that I did to an extra level, and to me, that seemed like signaling in the church that he's he's very righteous. He he had a a calling in the church. He was serving in the bishopric. Um, he was um, he was very kind to people. He um, had this way of, of including people that were sort of on the fringes and social groups. And I really loved that about him. I, th- I thought that was just so kind and Christ-like. Um, he, uh, he only listened to uh, church music. <laughs> just he did, he did all the things I was doing, but he was doing them extra, like one step more. Um, he, he was going to the temple. He, he had his endowments out and he he would go to the temple weekly sometimes multiple times a week he just he did all all the things right that that we in the church see as uh signals that this person is safe this person is good this person uh and in my mind this person was an authority in a way that they he knew more than i did and uh i was still new and i was still learning um so uh, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> I was going to say that does sound familiar when you sort of compare it to the Tim Ballard situation. All the women said he knew more than I did. 
he was an authority figure to me. And you certainly give up a portion, if not a huge portion of your power when you're with someone like that, because you trust them. There's no reason not to. Overtly, they look like they do know and they have your best interests in heart. Um, it's only till later hindsight, maybe that you start going, okay, there wasn't Something was not right here. So that part of your story was very intriguing to me. I can see why you would think that this was the perfect, the perfect guy. Yeah. He sounds absolutely perfect. Yeah. He um he also had a story, like a like a conversion story, um, that was very dramatic in nature that that he shared. And it was just about um like he, he admitted that in his high school years, he hadn't been active. He hadn't been doing the things he should be doing. And he'd had this experience where he um, went out with some friends one night and um, just felt uh, the power of Satan upon him. Like the way he described it was similar to what you would read in the Alma the Younger story in the Book of Mormon, you know, where he kind of felt the weight of um, all the evil around him and uh, it really sort of woke him up in a very quick and instant way and uh, came out of that experience uh, converted and wanting to do all the right things. And it sure seemed to me that he he had been doing that. So um, his past didn't, uh, I never asked him about his past or any details. I fully believed in the atonement. If you repent, in it, then it's all washed away and there's no need to talk about it, no need to know it, no nothing. So that didn't bother me at the time. And I think in, in hindsight, I can see where that might've been some good, uh, good information to have. Was your family um, happy that you were dating this young man? I mean, he sounds perfect. Like any family would be really happy to have, you know, a daughter bring this person home. You know, my family are very supportive. They, they, um, they were mixed in their feelings about me joining the church. Um, that took a little while for them to get used to. But once I was in the church, they were very, they were very supportive. Um, so I don't, I don't know if they had uh, other inklings that they just didn't share <laughs> or, uh, but it sure seemed like he, he fit, he fit in pretty well. So uh, we, we got married and uh, it was pretty instant. Well, I shouldn't even say pretty instantaneous. It was, it was instantaneous. Like the, even our wedding night was not, um, like I saw another side to him that I I'd actually just never seen before. Um, all of a sudden it was, uh, it was very controlling. It was very verbally and emotionally abusive, like right away. Um, and I think, I think how I put it to you guys in the email was that it, it seems like he, before we married, he was proving his um, righteousness or maybe spiritual superiority through orthopraxy, like showing what he was doing. But after the marriage, it, he was maintaining that authority or that appearance through orthodoxy, through forcing everything to be a certain way and interpreting it uh, very, very literally. And, and I so assume it, you were married in the temple and you had taken the oaths, you know, to follow your husband and, and those words. Yes. Yes. And um, that comes into play, you know, a little later in our marriage, but it was, um, yes, specifically the covenant to follow my husband as my husband follows God. Uh, 
came to be sort of his his mantra, the thing that he really held over my head um, later on as, as things progressed. And it, I do remember being in the temple and um, having that covenant explained. And in my mind, I thought um, that was an out, that you, you follow your husband as your follow, your husband follows God. So I thought, okay, well, well, then you have an out. You only have to follow him as long as he's following God. And if he's not following God, then then you don't have to. Um, but, you know, no one ever, you don't get to ask questions in the temple. You don't even really get to go have that explained to you later what that really means. You're, you're left to interpret it the way that you, um, the way that you think, but, but if you're someone who, especially a woman, <laughs> you always have someone who's an authority over you. Always, always, always. There's someone who has more authority over you than you. And if someone with the authority or perceived authority says, no, that's not what that means, then, then guess whose definition wins? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I thought in the moment, okay, that, that sounds fine to me. I have an out. I only have to follow someone if they're following God. That sounds great. But later on, it became, no, you. what that means is you follow me no matter what. And if I'm following God, great we'll both make it. And if I'm not following God, then, and I lead you astray, you're indemnified. You are, you're still going to make it. I'm the one that's going to take the heat for that. And that's a very, very different and dangerous interpretation. Cause it leads you to start doing things that go against um, your own conscience just because someone else is telling you to do it. No, you're absolutely right. And I think um, our viewers probably recognize that Autumn would have gone through the temple the same as myself, where that was the covenant, you know, and you don't have any prior knowledge of it. You go in and all of a sudden you hear, follow your husband, your husband follows God. You you don't really know what that means. They have since changed that. And I can only guess it's because they've heard of so many scenarios like this, where that kind of dynamic and that power relationship is abused. And so they have made a change to that covenant so that each person now is supposedly having a direct relationship and a direct, you know, responsibility for their own covenant and relationship with God. But this is certainly a very real thing in a lot of marriages um, up until just, do you remember Landon when that was changed? It's recently. Yeah, like it's, it is, it, well, I would say five it was years. after I, mean, I left the church, which is yeah. five years within the last five yeah, years. So it's, yeah. I mean, we're talking up until, you know, 2015 or something they are still having women beholding to their husband who then has the relationship with god so yeah not a great dynamic like you described yeah i love that they've changed that it needed to be changed i don't think that it removes the problem though because i mean for multiple reasons you still have generations of people that made a different covenant. No one's come out and explained, hey, we've changed in the temple. Those of you that made a different covenant, you're not held to that one. You're only held to the new one. Um, no one, when they made those changes, they also came out and said, don't talk about these changes. No one talk about it. You know, let's keep it secret. Let's keep it, you know, quote unquote sacred. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be explained why this change was made, what it really means, 
I just, the fact that they keep the, everything vague, I think is, is one of the big problems um, in the church, because you can always come back later and guess what? You can redefine it because it was too vague. Yeah. And that's what we see in a lot of cases is they, they don't want to make a, a commitment as to what something means. And my, my understanding is when they changed it and, and I haven't been, so this is, uh, I, I, I think I'd heard someone say that the women now don't covenant, uh, they, they covenant to follow God through the new and everlasting covenant or something like that. But the new and everlasting covenant is marriage. So therefore <laughs> in a roundabout way, you're still covenanting to your husband. You're just doing it, you know, through the, they're calling it the new and everlasting yeah. covenant, I, I believe is what they've changed it to. So new packaging, that yes. same concept. So. Yep, absolutely. Uh, same dysfunction, new packaging. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately after, you, you know, the, the change and, and I'm guessing, you, you know, you married young uh, as, as we're all advised to <laughs> in the LDS church. Um, you start having kids right away and obviously that plays into it a bit because mm -hmm. once you start having the children uh now you're you, you know you've got not only is it you that is is affected but you've got children that that you know makes it a lot harder to make any kind of a a change uh or or to stop uh you know not be with your husband or whatever when when you've got the children involved as well Yes, yes. I mean, we took that seriously. I took that uh, very literally. Um, we we started having children quite quickly, and we had um, probably as many children as we possibly could during our our marriage. We had we had several kids, more than um, the average person my age. <laughs> um, I. Oh gosh, I forgot like one of the most important parts of the story. Um, so uh, back up just a little bit when we were, when I was dating, when we were dating, um, he would frequently talk about having like prophetic dreams and, and visions and um, yeah, gosh, there, there's just so much. Um, but one of the things that he, he shared with me was um, that uh, his patriarchal blessing revealed to him that he was going to have multiple wives, and um, he didn't uh, he didn't mean polygamy. He just meant that he knew he knew through a dream uh, that his first wife was going to die, and he was going to have like a an, another wife that that God was already preparing for him his uh second wife to step in and, and take over when his first wife died and this was before so, you were his first wife however he was going to ask you to be his first wife with the knowledge yes. that if you marry him that means you <laughs> your fate is sealed basically and you were yes. thinking maybe as a convert you just thought okay you know prophetic visions inspiration did you just accept that that's such an interesting dynamic you know um it's definitely something that that you you think about and you ponder and you know you're already in the middle of a relationship with someone that you mm -hmm. really really like and you're falling in love with and you believe is a, a righteous person so 
you think, okay, they're not, they're not going to lie to me about this. This is, you know, this is, you know, this is something they truly believe. And, you know, what do I think about this? Well, you know, Joseph Smith had visions and, and prophecies and, mm -hmm. and we're taught that we can have our own personal revelation. That's what uh, we're taught that our patriarchal blessings are like directly from God. Um, little did I know until later that what he interpreted in his um, patriarchal blessing as um, <laughs> being told he was going to have multiple wives was really just a typo. Um, all it was was a, a sentence that said, you know, you will you will marry. Uh, basically, it was you could tell it was supposed to say something along the lines. You, you will marry a righteous woman. But instead, it said you will marry a righteous women. <laughs> and so he had taken this typo to mean that it really was meant to say women. <laughs> um, but I didn't. God doesn't didn't. make typos. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So in that, but again, I didn't right there, know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. And that's like that whole interpreting and just reading so carefully and trying to read every hidden meaning and looking for signs. I know so many people that do that and encouraged to do that when you say Landon with their patriarchal blessings, just looking for that hidden meaning and, and looking for direction to the point where there's a typo that literally changes the course of your life and the person that you marry's life. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely incredible. the danger of, of those yeah. blessings is that mm -hmm. uh, when you believe in them, you look for every sign and you look for mm -hmm. every interpretation that it could be. And then you uh, begin to act and, and you follow something that that mm -hmm. really is is no different than, uh, you know, uh, a palm reader telling you something. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, someone trying to tell your future by some power and then you yep. you try to read into it and that can become very dangerous. But like you say, all of us were taught that, that these are, all of us were taught, are, you know, a roadmap for your life. And that uh, if you're righteous, they will come true and that these things will happen in your life. And so, you know, you're a new member. And, and those of us that were, uh, that spent our life and we, we all looked at those blessings and said, you know, what does this mean for my life? And how, how do I, you know, use this as a roadmap? So I can yeah. certainly see why you would, you know, uh, take that and say, oh, that, you know, I, I can, you know, I, I believe because he's telling me this is his blessing. Right. That this, this is a possibility. Well, I think as a culture, yeah. we believe patriarchal blessings. We just do. When someone, I had a seminary teacher who said, here, I want to show you all my blessing. Um, I'm one of the prophets that will lay dead in the street in Jerusalem in the second coming. And boy, we were all really impressed with this man. Um, I don't know if he's done that yet or if he will. He's probably in his 80s now. <laughs> but, you know, the, we all believe blessings. In my patriarchal blessing, it says that I will comfort people who have lost their spouses. Okay. So I shared that with someone who was a friend. And she said, I don't think we can hang out anymore because my husband has health problems. She took that so literally that because we were friends, it might mean what was in my blessing meant that her husband might die because we were friends and we became more infrequent friends from that. So I think as a culture, we all give a lot of gravitas to a patriarchal blessing just as a whole. Yes. Yes. Like um, mine literally says that this will be, this is your personal scripture directly from heavenly father to you. And I, I default, uh to literal setting, but my, my, 
my baseline is is think of things very literally. I have got a mathematical mind. One and one equals two. There's no other answer. Like, and so it, it takes someone like that. I know there's lots of people that can take things with a grain of salt. It, it, me, it, especially at that age and maturity level, was not. I was very literal thinker. And if if that's what it's taught, then that's what it means. So I I had to. You know, I had to wrestle with that a little bit when we were dating. And what does that mean for me? If if this relationship progresses, does that mean that this is my future? And ultimately, I just decided that it wasn't something that I needed to worry about, that if that was God's plan, that was God's plan. And, um, you know, we'll we'll deal with that when that comes. So and, and why wouldn't I want um, my husband to have, you know, comfort in another wife? if ever I did pass. So I just, that's kind of where I put it and, and settled on it. And I didn't let it bother me after that. Um, but it's, it's super funny that you say that, you know, you, I, I never knew there were so many men that were going to die in the streets as a prophet because <laughs> a lot, there's only supposed to be three. <laughs> there's only, I thought there were only two because that was another thing that my husband or the, thought that he was through a prophetic dream. He thought he was going to be one of these um, prophets to usher in the second coming and to die in the streets of, of Israel. And, you know, he has not done that yet. So I, I never knew so many people thought that of themselves. I think that's crazy. Yeah. No, it's but main character syndrome. And, and a lot of people have it. A lot of people raised in the church have it. Just everything revolves and you want to feel special. Look at the recent story of the Doomsday family, where they believe that their 16-year-old son was the Davidic servant, somebody else who's going to usher in the second kingdom. You you feel special. You want to feel special. You want to be connected to a special family, and you feel important in doing God's work. And yeah. it's just a phenomenon. I did. Yeah. And when he told me that, I just... Um... You know, it's again one of those things. I, I felt like, oh, he's the authority. He he's the one having the dream, not me. I didn't have any confirmation of that, yes or no. But it definitely makes you feel like, oh, if I'm connected to this person, that also makes me special. If that's true, yeah. so it, it adds a little. There's a little bit of that stroking your ego with it as well. You know. Yeah, well, you're a part of it. And I think, again, with Tim Ballard, you know, he was telling women, I've had a vision. Nephi has told me you're supposed to be with me. You know, you're supposed to be helping me. So you do feel very important and you feel there's some kind of prophetic element to it, that you're a part of this big picture, which is important. Man, they should have a reunion. All these people that yes. feel that of themselves, we should get them all together in one room. That would be pretty amazing. I don't know if there's enough room in one room for all those egos, but it sure is. I'd be interested in the comments um, if any of you know of anyone or you yourself were promised <laughs> that you might be one of the prophets that is going to lay dead in the street. Because I feel like there were a lot of patriarchs at a certain age um, or era that were telling people this. So, I don't know. Man, every single one of them would be the keynote speaker. It would be amazing. <laughs> I don't think we want them all in the same place because that could usher in the second coming. If, uh, Ooh, it if could someone, open a portal. Yeah. Yes, did something to the building or something. <laughs> exactly. But then think about if you believe it. Like my seminary teacher, he was in his 30s when he told us this. I was 14. I mean, he must have had that in the, in the back of his mind the entire time. Like someday my fate is a gruesome death. 
you know, and, and in order to have that happen, the whole world is going to have to go to hell. I mean, he must have had a really apocalyptic view his entire life and how he lived his life, yeah. you know, it, and it informed every single decision and everything that he did. So just because of a piece of paper, a typo, maybe, you know, a misunderstanding, a misreading. I think that's really important to realize. It's taken me many years to start to um, view my ex in a more uh, charitable light Mm -hmm. um, because of, you know, my experiences were were pretty traumatic. Um, But I think in more recent years, as I begin to understand like mental health issues and and how these these beliefs affect us, I think you... You're right. You're spot on. I think it was a very, very heavy weight for him feeling like this was his responsibility. This was something he was supposed to do. And how do you live up to that? You know, I I, I think it, it really wore on him very much. And so in that respect, I, I, I feel bad. I feel bad for him. Yeah, well, it's good you can arrive at that point because that is hard sometimes when you've lived through something to look at the other person with empathy and, and more understanding. So then just tell us tell us what your married life was like. Tell us about some of these experiences. I think we now kind of understand a little bit about your husband, what he was like, and you're having a bunch of children. And, and what was it like? What was happening? You know, uh, one of the things he was really good at is, you know, early on in the marriage was, was you know, setting himself up as this uh, authority and, and the authority. He seemed to, how he seemed to know things or um, there were, we would have experiences and um, a conversation or, or, you know, just sometimes just weird random things that would happen. And he'd have a twist on it, like an interpretation of it um, that was spiritual, you know, something that I wouldn't think of. And it always kind of kept me thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not spiritual enough to see that for what it is. I have to have him explain what that really meant. Um, or sometimes he'd, or sometimes he'd have someone who was even a, another authority, like confirm these things. And um, so one of, the, there was one situation um experience we had that I think probably illustrates that really well. Um, I, I, I was pregnant with our first child and um, there was a, a lightning storm in our city that night. And um, we were awoken by a like a loud crash. And um, what had happened was there was a, a tree um, in our apartment complex that had been struck by lightning. So it was very, very, very loud and very bright and so I was woken in the middle of the night, um, just bright, bright, bright flash, loud crash of thunder. And um, my husband was standing over me. He jumped out of bed and he'd raised his arm to the square and he was yelling as loud as he could, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan depart, just over and over and over. Oh. And at the same time, I guess because of the electrical surge, um, the uh, fire alarm in our complex went off. And so it too was just loud and blaring. So all these things are happening to me, just the sensory overload. I'm quite pregnant (laughs) and I've just woken up with all this all at once. And it was completely disorienting, terrifying. Um, We could not turn our alarm off because it was completely fried. And so we had to, we had to leave our apartment in the middle of the night. And um, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it was just, 
it just was insane. And, and it was just scary. Uh, but my husband drove us to our bishop's house that night. In the middle of the night, we woke the bishop up and uh, he asked the bishop to give us blessings. And it, first he, he primed the bishop. He told the bishop what had happened. And um, he told the bishop that he, he felt like Satan was after an unborn child and um, and that this this to him it wasn't a lightning strike outside it was it was satan coming after us and he pointed out that you know as we were leaving our apartment complex he he kind of pointed out look you no one else is outside wondering what happened no one else heard this we're the only ones that experienced this and and it was true like no one else was out there <laughs> looking around and and wondering what happened probably because they just all went back to sleep because they didn't have someone yelling for Satan to depart at them. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I not laughing, I don't know. but oh my goodness. No, that's total main character syndrome right there. You are the only one. You're so important and your child's so important yes. that Satan is after you. Yes. So I'm so curious about this bishop because it would seem to me that the bishop would want to calm you guys down then at that point and say, I, you know, probably wasn't that, you know, cooler heads. Did he do this or did he kind of play into it? No, like the bishop gave me a blessing about, oh. you know, that um, Satan was after our unborn child, but had been, um, you know, thwarted by the priesthood in her home. I think he instructed us to go home and rededicate our home. Um, it was just, it was just terrifying. And, you know, in hindsight, this is the same bishop that um, my ex was serving with in the Bishop Rick. So there, you know, there was a tightness there. There was, there was something um, so I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It could have been done a lot better, but, but no, it, it definitely fed in. And, and those kind of things happened all the time. There always seemed to be someone that was, that was in a way testifying of my ex's truthfulness, yeah. <laughs> you know, of, of his divinity in a way. And, yeah, and um, you're vulnerable so because you're a convert. So mm -hmm. you know something, but you don't know everything. And so right. you're probably almost a little awestruck about the idea of priesthood and, you know, otherworldliness, you know, that you mm -hmm. weren't aware of before. So I can totally see that, how you just, you're in no position to be able to stand up and say, okay, uh-uh, honey, no way, come on, you can't do that. And I again compare that to Tim Ballard, the same kind of thing. When you're such an authority figure and you know so much more and that power differential, the other person is completely helpless. There's nothing that you could have done. And yeah. especially other authorities, again, like Tim Ballard, other people in his organization saying, listen to him, he knows. You're defenseless in that situation. Yeah. And it, to be truthful, even if I had pushed back and said, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's what it was, then he'd already set up the dynamic um, for the emotional abuse. Yeah. And so if, if that was, if ever I pushed back on something, it was, it was shut down very quickly and in a very cruel way. And so you, you learn, you learn very quickly to just to, to be quiet, to go along, to move along. And, um, it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> we were at well, the lightning strike <laughs> and you're well, pregnant and I, the trauma of this, I just, I can't even imagine. Oh my goodness. Well, to add to that, you know, he, he believes that I'm going to die, a, you know, an untimely young death. And so 
the whole time, the whole pregnancy, it, it was talked about a lot. He talked about it all the time. And so here this, this thing happens with the lightning and the, and Satan attacking us. And um, it, it definitely leads into that. Well, it almost happened, you know, and I'm wondering the whole time if I'm even going to survive childbirth. It's, it was, it was quite terrifying. No, and I can see that that would be a logical conclusion. Okay. She's a young, healthy person, but I know she's going to die. It must be giving birth to our child. So how terrifying. I am so sorry that that is what your pregnancy was like. That's just horrifying to me. It, um, you know, everything went well though. You know, I, I had an easy childbirth, a beautiful, beautiful baby. And then another one shortly after, and then another one shortly after, and then another one shortly after. And And you're not dying. What's your husband thinking? I'm not dying. (laughs) Is he checking his blessing going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, those, those years of, uh, you know, having, having the children, um, after that first year, after I survived the first one, I think it just, we settled into a little more normalcy. It was never super happy. It was never, there was always a, a, a bit of um, uh, the emotional abuse there. There was always the authority. Um, but, but the talk about um, my demise stopped, like it really just, it just fell by the wayside. And I was happy to let that go. We just didn't discuss it. And I, I began to think as years went on, you know, that was, that was kind of just a silly belief and we can just let that go and and chalk that up to immaturity and being silly. And we don't, we don't have to talk about that anymore. Um, so we, we just moved on and, and it was, it was all right. It it was livable. Um, and then, and then it wasn't, (laughs) and then, and then things, things changed again. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Sorry, there's so much to the story. No, there's so much to the story. And we should tell our viewers, we've emailed back and forth. We've had, you know, prep calls and there is just so much to the story. And we definitely want to tell it in a, you know, a certain way, a very respectful way, you know, with still understanding, you know, some of the details and getting the point across. So we appreciate you, Autumn, just, you know, uh, (laughs) trying to, you know, figure out a way in your head to make sure that, you know, we understand the main points, you know, without going into things that aren't necessary. So take your time. Yeah. So, I mean, just if we can pause for a second and just say, just let it be known that, you know, you know, none of this is meant to be like, I don't want to embarrass my ex. I don't want to embarrass anyone that was involved in this. And I definitely want to be sensitive and to my children because they didn't ask for any of this. So I'm going to be vague about um, some of the details, but um, I think it's just really important because I don't think I'm the only one that has experienced these things. And if I had known at the time that I wasn't alone, it probably would have made a big difference. No, we appreciate what you're saying, Autumn, and we completely understand. So just whatever you're comfortable with, 
just go ahead with that and and whatever you're not comfortable with we we can just move past that so whatever whatever you feel good about talking about so um when i was uh when i was pregnant with our last child um all this stuff about me dying resurfaced in a really awful, awful way. Um, my husband came to me one night. I was, um, I don't know, about probably like seven months pregnant, I think. And I was, uh, I was half asleep already. He, he'd gotten home really late and, um, he came home and he was just in this, he came in and he, he knelt down by my side of the bed and he just had this, he was so happy. He was just a glow with just this happiness. And I'm waking up. I'm just not I'm a little confused. I don't know what's happening. He's like, I got to tell you something. And, um, so he proceeds to tell me that, um, that God had revealed to him who his, his next wife was going to be. And um, that she was um, a young girl that that was uh, one of our employees at a at one of our businesses that we had. And um, I mean, th this was I was it was just devastating to me. It and also confusing to me because some years before he'd also told me that he he already knew who it was, but that wasn't possible. <laughs> If, uh, if, if this girl that he's now claiming what it was, but anyways, um, and then he, he just went over to his side of the bed and lay down and went right to sleep like a baby. And I was left to, to deal with that information. And I remember just, um, getting up out of bed and, and walking and pacing the living room the whole night. I could not sleep. I could not rest. I could not get my mind off of what that meant you know, here I am pregnant again. And now this person is revealed very specifically who's, who's going to be my replacement. And she's, I mean, in close proximity, what does this mean? What am I dying soon? Like what, what in the world does this mean? I just really didn't know what to do with that information. Um, so things i don't know things things are murky because it was so long ago and it was um in it was so intense but um that kind of started a, a whole year almost a year exactly to the day um of just really really intense um emotional and religious abuse and um it's you know, some of these things that we, we read about in the, the Tim Ballard story really, really stand out. Um, so, um, it progresses and in, in, it progresses slowly because at first it's like, well, what do we do with this information? It, okay. So we know who it is. Like, big deal you know but then it starts to be well um he says 
No, God, God's revealed this because he wants us to act on it. He wants us to um, be prepared. And so slowly, just step by step, it became my my job was to um, facilitate a relationship between her and my children so that my children would accept her and recognize her as their mom um, and make it an easier transition for when I die. And so the way I was supposed to do this, I mean, I changed constantly. Um, some of the, in the earlier um, weeks and months, it was just, um, she comes over for family home evening. You know, she's, she's there. She's someone that the children recognize and know. Um, then it became, she's, she's our go-to babysitter. Anytime we go anywhere, she's, she's the babysitter. We ended up taking a trip for our anniversary, um, which we'd never done before. We took like a long distance trip and left the kids behind and, and they stayed with her. And um, their grandma was pretty upset about that. <laughs> Did she understand uh, her role in this situation? She did. she did. I like, well, I don't, did. I don't want to speak for her. Cause I, I, right. of course I not. don't know everything that she understood, but, right. um, and she was there were rather young. It sounds like rather young. So yeah. So hard to I say didn't, then. I don't think I knew at that time how, how young she was because she was an employee for us and he had placed her, you know, similar to Tim Ballard. I think he'd placed her in a position in the company, basically over one of our companies, like the, the top person. And she was 17 years old. Um, she had no training or, or business, like running a business. She, she, there was no reason to have her in that position. Um, and I think that's why I didn't quite know at first how young she was. I, mm -hmm. you know, you're not, I, I, I she must've graduated early or, or homeschooled or, or something. Um, she didn't, uh, turn 18 until, until after, um, my last child was born. Um, but I did. It's so similar to the couple's ruse, to the ruse. Don't you think Landon, just yeah. the manipulation of dynamics within couples and the power structure, it is so similar. Well, it, it was, it was for the kids. Uh, you know, that's why this woman was there was to, take care of the kids when, you know, your demise happened as he, as he put it. So of course, who doesn't want to take care of their kids uh, mm -hmm. and make sure they're going to be taken care of. Yes. And that's one of the things I think too, in the Tim Ballard stories you hear, you know, what, what aren't you willing, like how far are you willing to go to save the cho children? And in my, yeah. um, you know, personal struggles, I, I spent probably a year on my knees um, trying to get myself to a place where I'd be at peace. And there were, you know, brief moments of peace where I could convince myself, okay, well, of course I want my children to be okay. Of course I want them to have an easy transition. Of course I don't, I wouldn't want this to be traumatic on them. So of course I'm going to, I'm going to do what it takes, even though everything inside me is screaming that this, this is not right. This is awful, just awful. Um, and the couple's ruse thing is is also very similar, except for I think in our situation, it was a friend's ruse. 
um, the way that he got around having her, like it, it brought notice to friends and family that she was at every family function. She was at every uh, one of the kids' birthdays. She was there, just she was there at my own mother's funeral, which made me furious. Um, she was always, always there. And the way that he explained it was, oh, this is this is Autumn's friend. They're, they're just really close. They just really like each other. He wanted us to go and do things together. Like he wanted us to go take a um, an institute class together. I think mainly just so that people would see us together and it would make sense to them why she's around all the time. It makes sense when I was dead that, sh that she would, you know, it's okay because sh she was Autumn's friend. She was, the she was ruse. there. Yeah. She was there the um, at the, the birth of my child. He, he brought her there and took the baby out of my arms and placed the baby in hers. It was, it was just cruel. It was just cruel. I really almost don't have any words at this point. And I think our viewers and listeners are going to feel that way too. And it just illustrates this level of grooming and manipulation, especially when there's that spiritual component um, that you just can't even fathom the end result that we're hearing right now. And I think um, one of the most difficult things was... Um, I didn't feel empowered to, um, at least especially early on in that year, you know, I, I would say things like, well, this doesn't feel right to me. This, you know, I'm praying and I'm not getting this revelation. I know that you say you have, and I know that um, she says she has, but where am I in this? I, I don't have this. And he would, he would call her a prophetess. Well, she, she's a prophetess. And I'd be like, well, what does that make me? Well, you're, you're not a prophetess. So you're not going to, to get that. It, like, like I was just relegated to some lower level that I, I wasn't spiritual enough. I wasn't righteous enough to get the same revelations that they were getting. And, um, and so then I wanted, I wanted to go get, um, counsel from our bishop or from our state president and that was absolutely forbidden um, because my covenant was with him my covenant in the temple was that I follow my husband not the bishop he set himself up as the ultimate authority over me and that if I went and counseled a bishop on something that he had already received then that was going to be my demise that was me breaking my covenant and also kind of similar to, I, I think there were things that came out in the Tim Ballard story where he said, you know, uh, other people aren't going to understand, you know, I've, I've got the spirit and this is what it's telling me to do, but, but other people don't have the spirit with them enough. They're not going to understand. And that was a lot of it too. You know, other, other people aren't going to understand what's happening here. This is, this is of God. This is, this is a higher law, you know, which just isolates you completely isolates Absolutely. you because who can you talk to? No one, not your, you know, religious counsel, not a friend, not family. You're completely isolated by that, that train of thought. 
Absolutely. I, I could not talk to anyone. And I, I literally spent hours on my knees just begging God to tell me something. Give me something. I distinctly remember with my, you know, I had this newborn baby and my, my older kids had gone off to school. And I remember um, laying on the, the living room floor with my baby right next to me and just crying and just trying to will myself to die. Like I, I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to make it happen, but I wanted to cease to exist. I just wished God would do it sooner rather than later because it just felt so cruel. Like, why am I still around? Why do I have to sit here and, and witness this? It, it felt like like I was watching my husband court someone right in front of me in my very own living room. Um, I did have every now and then I'd have kind of just a moment of um, where I thought, oh, God's on my side. Like, and so this, you're, this is kind of funny, but it's dark. I don't know. Um, so when her birthday came around, um, my husband wanted me to uh, throw her a birthday party. So it was kind of thrown on me really fast that I had to, I had to put together a birthday party really fast in one day. And uh, so he was going to bring her home after work and we were going to have a little birthday party for her at our house with our kids. So she came and um, had a, a cake for her. And as she blew out the candles, um, she leaned over and her hair caught on fire. And, um, you know, it was kind of this quick rush of, you know, hurry, put it out. And we got a towel and, right. and put it out, but her, her hair got singed. And inside, I was laughing, and I thought, God loves me. <laughs> like these small little things, you know, that, <laughs> and I know that's just dumb, but like that was, and awful, but it was this moment of, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> right. Somebody understands that you might be feeling these feelings <laughs> of jealousy and confusion, and here's just a little sign. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Your brain is trying to make sense of everything that's happening. So, oh my gosh, this situation. I just, <laughs> but again, every parallel that I can think of, because here you have Catherine Ballard and her husband is courting, <laughs> or at least going through motions of some of those actions yeah. with other women. And it's all for the good of the higher purpose. And it's your problem if you have a problem with it, because everyone else knows better. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, uh, I mean, all along it, it was always put to me that, um, like, I, I did not believe that there was any sort of sexual relationship happening mm -hmm. between them. It was, it seemed like they were always around me. She was always coming over, like the, the time together was also included me. And so I just felt like, um, I, I didn't really want to believe. I don't think that there was any any inappropriate relationships going on. Um, but as the the year progressed, um, some additional things started to occur. It, it became very very clear to me that um, that he and she were fighting a lot, and that 
um, the fact that I had not died yet um, was putting a strain on their relationship. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. It's just... It's, it's, so it's ridiculous. Yes. How dare you not pass away, Autumn? I yeah. mean, that's what needs to happen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, she must have you know, been I have a... guessing, you know, she's in, you know, hanging around waiting for this and right. it's not happening, not happening. And yeah, I can see. Right. Her the... life is in limbo, too, because she's in this threesome relationship because she's going to, you know, take your role. Yeah, that totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And I, I specifically recall, and I thought it was so ridiculous that, um, you know, she wasn't dating anyone. Um, and I, I think that was, you know, I think that was, that was him putting that on her, mm. but maybe that was her. I, I don't know. She wasn't dating anyone. She, her, her clothing changed. Like she, she started to dress as though she had garments and she, she had not been endowed. Um, she started to wear a, a wedding ring, um, uh, which she claimed was, was a gift from someone else that, uh, she, she cause she didn't want to date anyone. And so she put this ring on her, her wedding ring finger so that guys would think she was taken. So she wouldn't be asked out. Uh, I didn't know at the time that, um, he he'd given her that ring, you know, that, that was, that was bought. I don't know if they had like an engage. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, Oh gosh, another part of the story. So, um, when I saw her, so she, that was, that happened on her birthday too. I noticed this ring she had on her ring finger and I, I asked her about it. And she said, you know, someone gave it to her for her birthday and she just wanted to wear it on her ring finger. And so, um, <laughs> I thought to myself, I didn't know it was from him, but I thought to myself, if she's going to wear something on her ring finger, I want it to remind her of me. Um, not of, I don't want her to think of my husband. And so I gave her one of my rings and I said, well, we'll then wear this instead. And I think I, I don't know if that was a stroke of genius or stupidity. I don't know, but, um, I eventually got that ring back, but um, I think it made both of them feel just horrific. <laughs> like, uh, here's the, we can't even have this symbol between us without her. She's going to insert herself. And so I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I think, I think um, I wasn't dying soon enough and it was really putting a strain on. And uh, so my husband started to, really, really, um, he, he started to talk a lot about Abraham and that he, he just, he kept saying to me that he felt like he was Abraham, that he felt like he was being asked by God to sacrifice his family. And I just could not wrap my mind around it. He, he said it so many times and it started to really bother me because I, I didn't see the connection. I thought, well, no one's asking you to do anything and in your family, your whole family, like as far as I know, it's just me that's that's supposed to die. Like, like you're the one that's got everything waiting in the wings for you as soon as as soon as I croak. So like I, I did not get it. Um, but I, I definitely started to worry and wonder if if he was considering that. If, if he started to maybe believe that God was truly asking him to carry out uh, something 
uh, to make that go faster. So it was, it was concerning. It, it came to be a very scary time in my life. No, and, and I can understand that because you're not wrong to have those thoughts when somebody's in that kind of an illusion and living it. They kind of do turn to those examples, like perhaps, you know, Nephi killing Laban, something has to happen for the good of everything else. And, and Abraham, of course, has a very specific sacrificial element to it. And it reminds me in my own neighborhood years ago, people may remember um, Dr. Martin McNeil, who to me, this story is extremely similar. He had a woman that he wanted to be with that was supposed to be his wife. His existing wife was still living, and he actually was finally, you know, convicted and arrested for drowning her in a bathtub after she had had a surgery and was on drugs. You know, it was a very awful situation that happened just, you know, a mile from me in our word boundaries. Um, but it was a similar thing where as soon as the wife had passed away, within a day or two, this other woman was moved into the home to be with the children, you know, to make the transition easier. Um I can't even believe there's more than one situation like this, but the parallels to me are just are really setting up alarm bells in my head. So I don't think that you're off in, in imagining things like that in that kind of just supercharged scenario. What do you think, Landon? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've seen it uh, quite a few times this in, in the last couple of years where mm -hmm. uh, um, LDS men have, have done something mm -hmm. to, to try to end the, life of their wife uh, so that they can they can yeah. do that so the Lori yeah, Chad situation. I think it's a real you know real concern uh, especially when he's got all these plans and nothing's happening um right and you're the only thing in the way so did you start then at that point just going okay now I sense I'm really in danger now I need to make a move I mean did that kind of enter your did, did it kind of change snap you out of it a little bit or what were your thoughts on that if definitely it, it it took a few more months. Um, things, things just ramped up really just high, high, high stress. Um, I remember at one point just getting in my car and just driving and just, just wanting to get away. And, and I, I couldn't because I couldn't leave my kids behind. You know, I got, <laughs> I got to the state line and, and, and turned around and came back. Um, I, um, I got pretty desperate. I went, um, one day I just, I really just could not handle it. I was, I was at my absolute breaking point and I, I called my stake president and he, um, he left his job and, and drove over and he, he brought his wife with him and he sat in my, um, home with me while I paced and tried to, and tried to explain what was going on. And, um, and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because here I was breaking this, you know, cardinal rule of, of seeking an authority over and above my husband. And I, I told my state president, I was like, you cannot tell him, you cannot tell him that I've talked to you. Please do not tell him. And he said, well, um, he, he didn't give me any sort of counsel like he could have so easily right then and there said no this is no this is not right this is not good this is this is this is bad you know here here let's let's get you out this is a bad situation instead it was well I need to talk to your husband and so finally finally I relented I said okay you know go ahead and call him call him in and so um you know my did husband he, did, sorry did he did you tell him about the other woman in your life yes 
Yes. You told, I told him everything. And his wife sitting there that yes. there was this other woman with you. And both of them yes. did not jump up right now and say, I need to take you and your kids probably somewhere no. else. We need to, nobody did that. No. Okay. And, um, and so, he, but he convinced me to, to, you know, give her permission to call my husband in. He called my husband in, talked to my husband. My husband came home just mad as hell. Like that was, that was, that was a bad day. Um, but I didn't, my state president never talked to me again until, until after I left. And he did tell me like af after I, I finally, you know, left my husband and I was in a safe place. He did tell me that he was, he was concerned that he didn't want to counsel me, um, in a way that might, um, endanger me. But I thought, well, leaving me there without any counsel at all endangered me. And I also found out, like, in, in preparation for um, for talking to you guys, I went back through my records and things. And I actually um, um, I had a, a good friend of mine that, that worked, um, that we were actually in business with at the time. And he, he had been um, seeing some things happen at work during all this period of time and he was an avid journal keeper and so um after I left he he gave me um he was so kind to give me some copies of uh, a chunk of his journal so that I could kind of see and just have some documentation and um there was a conversation that he'd had um recorded in his journal um that he'd had with my ex um where my ex explained to him that the state president had already told him that none of his revelations were true, that none of this was right. And that he, if he persisted in it, he could get excommunicated. And I, I read that and I thought, well, that would have been really good information for you to tell me like, like why, why could he be that, that definitive and strong with my ex, but he, he wasn't willing to take really like, with me. It was like, well, I need to talk to your husband. I couldn't mm -hmm. have that information. Yeah. Mm -mm. it's just it's just mind-numbing it is and, um, and i think it speaks to um lay clergy with absolutely no knowledge or understanding of the kind of help that people need they have no business even being in a position where they could offer counsel like that although as a human being you would think that you could tell that story to someone on the street and that person might have some better advice or help <laughs> than what you received, you know, from your, your state president, I would think, did, because any they, person would say, this is not right. Did, did they ever uh, ask uh, or, or invite you to go to LDS social services and have counseling or to go through marriage counseling or anything like that as part of this or. Be before I left. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. No, no. Uh-uh. Nothing like that. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, we could also say, well, do you really need someone to tell you? <laughs> like in this situation? Like, no, I think right? the counseling session would be five minutes. They would say, please remove yourself from this scenario. So, oh, my yeah, goodness. Right. But but you have those covenants that are sitting yes. there. That it, yes. And for me, if, if I 
if I left my husband, if I, if I broke that temple eternal marriage covenant, that too was eternal damnation. Um, you've got to, you've got to keep that at all costs. There, there's nothing in the church that tells you, you know what, divorce is okay in some situations. I, I do think that they're, they've loosened up on that since, but, Mm -hmm. but at that time that that's not the case. Right. Um, it was, it, it took me a while to, to get there. I think we should point out here, because we did talk a little bit about your background. You are an educated person, um, you, you highly educated, uh, professional career. Um, and so this just shows that it, it's not your intelligence level. It's more mm-hmm. of an emotional uh, mm-hmm. response than an intelligence response that you're committed to your husband, you're committed to your church, you're committed to your children. And so you continue down the path yeah. because you're so committed to these different different ideals and emotionally you're you, you can't you can't understand the emotion and, and you're trying to do what you've covenanted to do <laughs> and, and do what you know you're supposed to do even though your mind in the back of your head might be saying you know warning bells saying oh you need right. to get out of this your emotions are saying this is the people i love this is the place that i'm supposed to be god is with me and, and you know, I've talked to the bishop, I've talked to the stake president, uh, they haven't counseled me <laughs> to believe. And, and so you you can very easily see where step by step, you, mm-hmm. you're you into this and you're, you're pulled in and, and you, you don't know how to get out. And I would, I would think of the words of Tim Ballard, don't you want to do what it takes? Can't you do what it takes? You know, he would say that to the women and they'd say, of course I can you were doing what it took. <laughs> I mean, despite all that mental anguish, you know, and reaching out periodically for help, but bottom line, keep the covenants and you had to do what it took. And and sometimes in some circles, it, it feels like um, the greater the sacrifice, the, the greater the reward, mm-hmm. right? The greater yep. the sacrifice, the more righteous yep. you are. Yep. Um, and I think um, anyway, I think it shows, I think that anyone can be groomed. I know that there's going to be people out there that are, that are thinking to themselves, are you you really going to blame the church for, for some, you know, something your ex did to you? And, and the answer is, yeah, like, yes and no. I I blame, I blame certain principles that the church teaches and continues to foster um, for the role that that played in my own grooming and my own abuse. Um, I'm, I'm not a stupid person. Um, I wasn't highly educated at the time. I was young. I was naive. I was a very literalistic thinker. And I was immature in a lot of ways. Um, but I was never stupid. Um, but you can be groomed. And I think one of the, the most pernicious beliefs or teachings in in, in the church is this idea of... Um, that there's there's an authority over you more than more than yourself to defer your own decisions to someone else, and there are going to be people in the church that say, "Well, that's not what's taught," but but it is. I mean, even as recent as this last general conference, we are taught by the prophet himself, "Think celestial," and maybe you don't think that that's what that means, but it is vague enough. Um that that is what that means, or at least that is what it can mean and could mean and will mean down the road. They don't define exactly what they're, they're expecting you to do 
to think celestial, but guaranteed down the road, whenever it comes to doing something um, according to your own conscience or doing something that the prophet's telling you, guess what thinking celestial is going to mean? Right? And and you brought up a, a point there that uh, I, I hadn't thought of, because when we talked, you're right, you did say that you went back to school after uh, you, you were a single mother. Um, were, were you in the home as a mother, stay-at-home mom uh, during this time? Yes, for the most part. I had a small role in the businesses, um, mostly like on the accounting side, um, but yeah, but I, I by and large was was a stay at home mom until so then. you were isolated. Um, yes, you it was your husband and it was your kids and it was your church community. Uh, when you're working, you know you you're out with other people who are not the same faith who might advise you uh, in that. <laughs> but in this case, you're very much isolated, and I think that was another tactic that we saw was mm -hmm. isolation or getting you where you. You, you couldn't get advice from other people because everyone had oh, the same absolutely. mindset. Everyone did have the same yeah. mindset and, and could understand what your husband was saying. Exactly. And I was, I was largely isolated from my own family mm -hmm. as well, because, you know, his family was the more righteous family. Every, every holiday was spent with his family. Every, um, we rarely ever, ever went to visit my family or had visits from my family. It was, it was a lot of isolation. Which I think yeah. the church is very good at. Uh, if yeah. if you uh, are a member of the church and your family is not, uh, they're very good at trying to make sure, you know, President Nelson said, don't take advice from those who don't believe <laughs> the same way as you. Yeah. So why do you want yeah. them coming in and taking your, chi your children somewhere? Because they might, you know, inadvertently tell them something that's contrary to the gospel or something. And, and so... Uh, that's very much yeah. the way the church, uh, I see that dynamic a lot yeah. where people who, yeah. who join the church then gravitate towards the family that's in the church and, uh, and away from the ones that are out. Yeah. It's a silo effect for sure that you're just very siloed and contained. So yeah. I think we would now like to understand how did you finally, um, remove yourself or make a change, um, to to sort of get away from this situation or take your life back um yeah so it wasn't until i i began to have enough courage to an understanding that like to re to take to give myself permission to be in in charge of my own feelings mm -hmm. and my own thoughts and um and th that really was was the basis once i was able to regain um, and, and trust myself. Um, that was the, the beginning of, of the end. Um, I remember, you know, this whole year I'm down on my knees. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm doing, I'm going to the temple. I'm doing everything they tell you to do, looking for the answer, looking for the answer, trying to get an answer from, you know, that, that this is, or isn't true you know, that I, I do or do not have to have to participate in this. And I went to church one day and the talk, there was a talk about, um, what do they call it? Uh, agency, free agency. Mm -hmm. 
which I guess we don't have anymore, apparently. Yeah. But we have moral agency. We have more agency now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the time the Stockholm Free Agency was was a really good good thing for me. And I, I sat there and listened to it and and the person talking um talked about how it, and not that I ascribe to this, but at the time it was it was really helpful that um if you're praying and you don't get an answer, then that could mean that God leaves it up to you to decide. That there's not a right or a wrong. You just get to decide. And I globbed onto that and I was like, yes. <laughs> because I couldn't get an answer. And that meant I I could freely choose. And I that that saved me. And I remember going home because my husband is as amazingly righteous as he is because he's going to be a prophet um he actually hadn't gone to church with us he stayed home <laughs> so <laughs> I, I went home and he's like oh yeah you know, I was church I'm good what'd you learn I was like well I learned that uh if I don't get an answer then I can choose and I don't choose this <laughs> I said I'm not telling you what you can believe you can believe whatever you want but I'm not doing it. This girl's not going to be in our house. She's not, she's not who you think she is. I'm not going to die. I am moving on with my life. You can do whatever you want, but it's not going to be in this house. And I think it just floored him. I, he was just sort of speechless because I don't know that I'd ever spoken to him that way before. And it took him probably a day to process. And the next day, he was very, very, very angry. <laughs> um, that was a bad day. Um, but in that moment, uh, I think he he just, he did not know what to say. He didn't know what to do. Because for the first time, I was saying, no, this isn't, this isn't how I choose to, to live. Um, so the dynamic changed. And, um, I mean, things, things kept going, but, um, the visits from, from this girl stopped. And so their relationship was forced to, uh, continue outside of me. And then a month or two later, um, he came home from work and, and he told me that she had, she left, that she quit her job and she left. And I thought, yes, because <laughs> um, what I, I mean, what I was praying for and hoping for was that I could just have my family back to normal. You know, let's just forget all this happened. Let's move on. Let's just, you know, my husband's been confused this whole time. Let's just, let's just get back to normal. And the, the next day I had an opportunity to talk to her briefly and um, it didn't take long in the conversation. She explained that she'd gone and talked to her bishop. And I think her bishop did a lot better job with her than my stake president had done with me. And explained to her that that none of this was right. And uh, she, she needed to, to get out of that situation. And so she had followed his counsel. Um, but in that brief conversation, she did explain to me that um, the nature of their relationship was very different from what I had understood and believed it to be that they had been sleeping together uh, a lot <laughs> through that year. Um, they had been making plans. I think they had gone house shopping. 
they they'd made wedding plans like there was a there was a lot more going on than than what I understood it to be and um and that gave me a lot of uh courage too because I thought well then then my my temple covenant's already broken like it to me it was more of I don't know. Like if you think to yourself, you know, how would I react if I found out my spouse was cheating on me? I think most people would be absolutely devastated. But for me, I was free. It was the most freeing feeling. I thought, finally, I am released. I do not have to be here anymore. He already broke that covenant. I can no longer break it. I'm, I am I can go. And, um, and I left. I left within the hour. I took the kids and, and I left. Wow. It was over. The ruse was over right there. And, and I would point anybody to, I don't know, hopefully a lot of you have been listening to RFM, read the statements from not only, you know, the the alleged victims of Tim Ballard, but the husband of the one victim, alleged victim, because that husband, for anyone that says, how could you let this happen in your house? How could you not see there's just a dynamic where as the spouse, you give this leeway, you're hoping everyone will come to their senses, you're hoping the family can go back to normal. Like you said, you don't want to rock the boat, you don't want to confront, and you just go down this path until there's a moment like that where point of no return and you just regain all your autonomy and your eyes open and then you take action, which it sounds like you did within an hour, which is absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember, um, so when I had that conversation with her, it was actually over the phone and I was, I was with, I was with my ex down at, um, our business office and I, I was in his office with him. And when he realized that I was on the phone with her, he tried to make me get off the phone. I think he was very concerned about what I might yeah. hear and, and, you know, obviously, <laughs> and I just kind of held my hand up like stop. <laughs> and I, I listened for a couple minutes and that's all I needed to know. And I, I got off the phone with her and I remember this moment very clearly. Um, I sat down uh, on the other, like across the desk, his desk from him. And he sat on the other side and I'd never seen him look so scared of me before. Um, and uh <laughs> He, he just sat there waiting for me to talk. And I, I finally looked at him and I said, this is so crazy. It's, it's crazy what your brain does in a moment like this. I can't believe this was the first thing out of my mouth. But I said to him, um, don't you ever, ever get mad at me for having a dirty house ever again. <laughs> you have no ground to stand on right there. Wow. And that's the first as step the, to reclaiming your power. You said it right there. As though, as though that has anything to do with anything. But I guess in my brain, I was like, here, you've been railing on me for all my imperfections while you're sitting here doing the most gross thing in the world <laughs> to me, you know, <laughs> it just, um, I don't know. It's, it's just so absurd. It's just absurd. Wow. And so from that moment on, you reclaimed 
everything. I mean, I know it was a, a, a tough road, but now you're in a situation where you're very happy as you've described to us. And um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your situation now or just leave it at that, that you've moved on and have a positive life with positive relationships yes. and nobody else saying yes. they're having revelations about you or prophecies no. or that you're going to die or <laughs> anything no, no, like no. that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I spent many years as a, a single parent because I was, I was still in my twenties and I had mm -hmm. many children, um, trying to date when you're that age with that many kids. I mean, there, there's no, there's just no, uh, 20 something year old man that that's ready to take that on. That was, uh, yeah. that was, uh, that was a rough go, but so, uh, you know, but I did, um, eventually marry just a, a wonderful man. We've, uh, we've been together more than a decade now and, um, he, uh, lets me do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the secret sauce, right? Right there. The secret Let everybody sauce, do yeah. whatever they want. Yep. Everybody, yeah. Uh, consents and you can have a, a beautiful relationship like that. Well, we appreciate you sharing your story. And and I think maybe um, explain to us or to our viewers a little bit why, you know, it was so important. What a step to reach out to us, I think, you know, but listening to our podcasts, other podcasts about Tim Ballard, everything just resonated. What do you hope people can learn uh, from your story, from you coming forward and just explaining in a little more detail how these things can happen to to the alleged victims of Tim Ballard, to you? I mean, what, why? how did you get so brave? Because it is very brave for you to come on and talk about this. Uh, I just... Uh... I just felt it was, it was time. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the things that really upsets me is that this, this kind of stuff is still going on. You know, mm -hmm. I've obviously moved on. It's been years and years and years. Um, but it tore our family apart mm -hmm. and it, it, it devastated us. And, and it, there are still things that and you, raising kids in a, in a split family, it takes its toll on everyone. Um, it, it bothers me that these things are still happening. It bothers me that every few years in the news, um, we get some big thing come out and everyone's just shocked, just shocked. Oh my gosh, how can this happen? And I'm sitting here thinking, I know exactly how this can happen because it happens to more people than just the ones that we see on the news. This is This is happening to more people than just me. This is happening to individuals and families. Um, and the the church plays a big role in it. Yes, mm -hmm. there's some bad actors. Yes, there are people that take the church's teachings and twist them and turn them for their own uses. But um, it also primes people and grooms good, good people who just want to be righteous, who just want to be good, who just want to do good things. It grooms them to not have autonomy to not make decisions for themselves, to not use logic, um, to put a, a man or a church or a prophet in the place of God. The church in many respects usurps God and they do it very slyly. I didn't know until I was in the temple and didn't have a way out that the final culminating covenant was not to give everything to God. It was the term God was substituted by the term, the church. It was to give 
everything to the church. And people may not think that that is an important distinction, but it is absolutely important. It is one of the the worst, most dangerous teachings our church has is that they equate the church with God. They equate the prophet with God. It's dangerous and it needs to stop. And I think I was inspired recently listening to uh, Peter Bleakley. Uh, I need to meet that man. He's brilliant. <laughs> He's awesome. We would love to have him on the podcast. I've, I've chatted back and forth with him on social media and he's he's amazing. He, everyone should watch everything he does. But he, he said something on one of his podcasts about not not giving criticisms without following it up with some some solution or some suggestion mm-hmm. of how to be better. And I think that that's very wise. And I think that, you know, for a long time, I just thought, well, maybe if we can just get the church to come out and admit these things or, or speak more clearly or have more transparency, um, then things can get better. And I, I've really just given up on that. I, I think they're having a lot of uh, wonderful success over there in Great Britain. Um, yeah. uh, I. I'm still just at a loss as to how I I think that that's an absolute miracle, but I think really where, what I see um, we can make a difference is, is to take the power back. People can only have power over you that you let them have. So in many ways I was complicit in my own abuse in the ways that I, I would allow it, you know, um, but we don't have to do that just because the church or the prophet says something and makes it sound like we have to do that and that that's what God wants us to do. We don't have to take it. We can take the power back. The, I feel like my identity as a Mormon, the 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 um, the religion I joined and loved that was it was a part of my identity. I feel like that's been stolen from me, and I would love it if if we could empower people to take that back, just because you belong to the Mormon church and you're part of their culture does not mean that you have to do as you're told. It means you, you can be a good person and you can trust yourself to make those decisions. And I think maybe that's, that's where the power is. Maybe that's where the change is. If someone's telling you that they have authority over you and it, and it's going against your own judgment, I, I think, I think you can take back that that power. Yeah, I, I think that's the lesson here. But again, as you say, that's difficult. I mean, I was talk about my own story where I never really was a believer. I was agnostic since a child. Why did I stay in the church for over five decades? You know, people can't understand that. And the only way I can explain it is to say, I didn't know I could leave. I didn't know I could do anything different. I just went with the flow. I never understood that there was this power dynamic, that there was something I could reclaim, that there was something I could do autonomously. And, you know, it was never horrible, but it was never anything I really wanted to do. And and I never understood that you eventually, and that is what happened to me when I was about 55, I woke up one Sunday morning and said, I don't want to do it. (laughs) I don't want to go. I don't want to go to my calling. And I texted the primary president. I was in the primary playing the piano. And I said, I'm I'm just not going to be there anymore. And after taking that step, then there was another step and I gave myself permission. But boy, it took a long time because Mm -hmm. when you're raised in that structure, you don't understand that you don't have power or a limited power. So it's kind of an epiphany. And maybe some of our viewers and listeners won't understand what we're talking about. Maybe some will absolutely understand what we're talking about. 
but I really appreciate everything you're saying. What are your thoughts, Landon? <laughs> I'm not even going to try to follow that up. She, yeah. The words that you've said, Autumn, yeah. and, and based on your experiences have, have just been uh, overwhelming. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I just, you're so humble, so well-spoken, and, and your story is just so overwhelming i i think a lot of people are gonna are just gonna love you <laughs> and, and the things that you said and, and what you've had to go through to get there so i just yeah. i just want to say thank you for coming on our show and thank you for reaching out to us and sharing this yeah. with us i know it wasn't easy we had mm -hmm. to do do a couple things to make sure you know that uh that you could tell this story without harming other people uh mm -hmm. it wasn't that you were really worried about yourself you were worried about other people and so uh, just thank you for reaching out to us. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's just incredible. And and we just think that you're so brave. And we think that everything you said, I think there's a lot of things you said that are going to resonate with people in different ways and so many lessons to take away from this. And, and like you said at the very beginning, if just one person needs to hear something like this, you know, if one person listens to this and, and it does resonate and makes a difference in their relationships, in their dynamic of what they're doing, um, in their, their spiritual side, you know, somehow makes a difference in them themselves, then this is absolutely worth it. So I think this is one of the most powerful podcasts we've ever done. Don't you think, Landon? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're all a little overwhelmed. <laughs> I think we all need a nap now. That's kind of how I feel, right? <laughs> wow. Well, we certainly appreciate you, Autumn. This has been absolutely incredible. Um, to our viewers and listeners, um, please comment let us know what you think of autumn's story tell us if you've experienced you know different levels of this i think that's the other part of this that there there are some stories like this and then there are you know these different levels of this kind of situation that happen and this kind of abuse of power and loss of power this kind of finding power back share your own story with us we we would absolutely love to hear um like and subscribe to mormonish and if you would like to be notified of when new episodes come out you can hit the notification bell if you would like to help financially support mormonish podcasts we always have links um to how you can donate through paypal and venmo in our show notes and again we just thank autumn so much this has just been quite the incredible evening and your story is going to touch so many people i absolutely know that so Thank you again so much for Mormonish. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.